We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire NFL DFS podcast for week seven. I am Scott Jenstead, joined again this week by Derek Van Riper. Uh, if you could please rate or review the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you enjoy listening to us, wouldn't mind leaving us uh, a good amount of stars or a positive comment uh, that goes a long way towards supporting the podcast. We'd greatly appreciate that. Derek, uh, we're in uh, we're in week seven. We're, uh, we're about a third of the way through the season. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. And then there's some, some things that I need to clean up and I'm hoping this is going to be a turnaround week for me overall I think it's been a a disappointing season thus far pentathlon lineups have been underperforming but I think part of that's a structural flaw in some of my mindset so I think I've found the flaw and I'm hoping to correct it beautiful we have an interesting is interesting overall slate this week because there's only 10 games on the slate we lose that uh, we lose one game to the uh, the London early game so it's not in the main FanDuel or DraftKings slate uh, we have a Thursday night game a Sunday night game a Monday night game and then four teams on by so it's one of those interesting slates where you have less games and less options but you really have to dig in and figure out uh, you know who you like and who you don't like because with the, with the lesser options you really got to hit on a lot of stuff yeah absolutely and you know as we have before at least I think we've said this before uh, it's pretty fairly well known at this point last minute changes like the Latavius Murray starting when Dalvin cook was a little bit of a surprise scratch last week. That stuff is so huge too. So talking about this on Thursday, it's great to get some of the fundamental ideas in place, but something like that, we kind of thought it was going to be the Crowell Powell thing. That was the big 
call, but Cook being out, Murray getting that chance against Arizona's porous run defense, that really swung uh, a lot of different lineups out there quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, and I think even bigger than that in the DFS world was that O.J. Howard played. I mean, everybody was uh, everybody was on that Cam Brait uh, love last week, and O.J. Howard ends up playing, get get scoring, having scored a touchdown, getting sixty two yards on four catches. So that really uh, that broke up a, a lot of the uh, the tight end madness. Uh, to see him play uh, last minute was was another big move. Yeah, that one. The way he trended up in practice last week, I still wasn't optimistic about it because I thought the injury was pretty severe when he suffered it. That was that was a big surprise as well. I wanted Cameron Brait to be chalky because I wanted Cameron Brait to fail, but the game played out. I don't think I would have been right in that. Like the the Cameron Brait fade would have been really stupid if uh, O.J. Howard didn't play, just based on how easy Jameis Winston was piling up yardage and, and points against that Atlanta defense. Yeah, as one who faded Cameron Brait, that was frustrating though. He, the guy had one target, and it happened to be a touchdown. So that was uh, I love the one target when you're fading someone, but one one tar- one touchdown, one catch, 15 yards. Uh, that was a bit uh, that was a bit uh, frustrating. I just thought the appeal of fading him was gone once Howard was active, though. Like when, yeah, when he was going to be 50 plus percent owned, it was like, <laughs> OK, like Cameron Brait has that rapport. But is he really that good? Like that was a fair question to ask. But, you know, I looked at the Millie Maker lineup on DraftKings. It was Osweiler plus Albert Wilson. <laughs> and I think Albert Wilson was like under one percent owned uh, Two long TDs, a lot of yards at the catch on both of them, too. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff. You do that, it saves a bunch of money. You throw in a bunch of stuff that you feel great about, an otherwise like really strong cash type lineup. And if it goes off, then well, you can win a million dollars. But I don't think I ever would have expected that. I don't. I'm not throwing 20 different lineups together like that. And I just wonder if people are going to look at the Derek Anderson, Kelvin Benjamin duo this week and try to follow that pattern and and stick those two guys in lineups together and then just load up on on high priced you know quality players across the board else elsewhere. I, I sure hope they do. But uh, last week was an interesting one because, you know, Gurley and Melvin Gordon and James Conner all went crazy. So if you saved money at quarterback and receiver, suddenly, you know, th- those guys you paid up for at running back were just monster weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they were yeah, 30 plus points for a lot of those guys. So uh, it's going to be kind of fun looking at the slightly smaller slate. Again, that London game was a wrinkle in there. We lose the Chiefs again. Yep. Can't pick on Atlanta on the main slate because they got Monday night against the Giants. So. It's not quite as bleak as last week, but there are still some quality teams that are pulled off the main slate this week. Yeah, I guess we can blame Jimmy Garoppolo for that one. The Niners and Rams were going to be the Sunday night game, but they got flexed out after Garoppolo got hurt, and we lose Cincy, Kansas City, which not only a not only a good game, you know, real football wise, but a great game fantasy wise. It's too bad we lose that one off the slate. Yeah, I mean, we can play single game showdowns, you know, whatever in, in its place, or open up a larger one, but uh, it, it's just. Those are two teams that I like having pieces from available every week, especially in cash. Yeah, I think I think wide receiver is an interesting spot this week. You could argue that four of the top uh, five projected wide receivers this week are out of this slate. We've got AJ Green, uh, you got you got uh, Julio Jones, you have uh, Odell Beckham, and Tyreek Hill. All four of those guys, you know, probably in everybody's comp, uh, maybe top five or at least top seven wide receivers for the week, and all of them are on the are on the primetime Sunday night or Monday night game. So it's interesting. We have to gonna, we have to find some. Uh, some cheaper receivers and, you know, maybe decide between two or three expensive guys where usually we're looking at five or six and you kind of can find the lower percentage guy to, uh, to be a little bit sneaky. Yep. Let's dig him up. Beautiful. So that the highest, uh, 
the highest over-under games, we don't have any huge games this week. We do have the and the, the ones that are high are kind of interesting. The, the Rams and San Francisco is a 52-point over-under. New Orleans and Baltimore is 50-and-a-half. So we have two games there where you have some explosive offense, but you also have you know a really good defense in Baltimore, a pretty good defense in the Rams, although they haven't really shut people down in the last couple of weeks. But interesting that the two games over 50, uh, you know, both feature teams that we consider to be two of the better defenses coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, in the Ravens, uh, looking at that Ravens-Saints matchup, too, it's like the Ravens' pass D has been really good from an efficiency standpoint, the best in the league. Something's got to give yep. in that matchup. That's the game I keep looking at, and both sides are a little trickier than usual because the Saints are good against the run and bad against the pass. You'd expect Joe Flacco with that group of weapons, with Crabtree, with John Brown, with Willie Sneed, you know, being pretty capable of moving the ball consistently through the air. And then for the Saints, it's like, well, you kind of take away some of the things they might like to do through the air, except for the fact that Elvin Kamara creates such a unique mismatch. You know, is this a a big Kamara game because of the way the individual matchups line up? That's kind of the the big question I'm wrestling with from that game because Kamara goes off in the passing game, then you know the Drew Brees floor is crazy high, like it's generally just high anyway. Yep. But it just comes down to how well you think Kamara matches up. Uh, against some of the guys in coverage in that Ravens defense. Yeah, that's a that's a really fun game. Looking forward to discussing that one. It's one of the afternoon games, so we'll get to that one a, a little bit later. The other two games that are close to 50 over-unders, we've got another interesting game. Not games you'd think, you know, oh, two great offenses. You've got New, New England at Chicago. Obviously, the Bears have been a really good defense so far this season. They weren't quite as good last week against Miami. Brock Osweiler lit them up pretty good, but that's a 49.5 over-under. Then we have Cleveland at Tampa Bay. Not a game that would jump out to you as high-scoring offense, except... Tampa Bay's offense is pretty good, and Tampa Bay's defense is really, really bad. So that, that pushes that number up. That one's a 49.5 also. So a couple interesting games there where you maybe can find some plays that uh, of guys that you know we don't usually consider plays every week. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks are kind of a magnet for that every week. Yeah. And Atlanta is too, so not having Atlanta on this slate, like we said before, is a bit of a drop. But uh, getting some, some Browns, there's so many different ways you can attack the Tampa Bay defense with pieces <laughs> on the Cleveland offense this week. Yeah, and then the, the low, on the low side, we've got a couple games. Nothing under 40 this week, but we do have Houston at Jacksonville is an over-under of 42. Dallas at Washington, which you know has been a, a historical great rivalry for many years. That's an over-under of 41.5. Both those teams are a little more defensive-minded than they have been in the past. But uh, both of those games, uh, we'll get to them when we get to them, but uh, nothing that really jumps out to me there is who I really want to play guys in this game. That's uh, Those are probably some games that, with those over-unders, I'm probably just going to fade most of that action. Yeah, it probably, especially in cash, plays out that way. Maybe there's a few tournament darts sprinkled into those games, as there is, you know, pretty much every week. But uh, as far as your your main building blocks go, I mean, yeah, definitely two games that I'm looking away from. So let's uh, let's jump right in. We'll go game by game, hitting the uh, hitting the 10 a.m. Pacific games. Uh, first one on the slate I want to discuss is the Patriots at the Bears. We mentioned uh, that game already. Over under is 49 and a half. New England's only fared by three, so a really nice game script for both teams. Starting on the on the visitor side with uh, with the Patriots, you know Tom Brady was a little bit uh, a little bit rusty to start the year, but last two weeks, 340 yards and a touchdown, 341 and three touchdowns against Indy. Uh, you know we all like the Bears defense. Khalil Mack is a little bit banged up right now, but they just allowed 380 yards and three touchdowns to Brock Osweiler in his first start, uh, filling in for Ryan Tannehill. Um, how are you thinking about attacking the Patriots' offense this week? You know, Sony Michelle's been really good running the ball. Brady's been good passing the ball last few weeks. Uh, how are you gonna? There's there's a lot of guys that are playable in this game. Who are you focusing on? I do like Sony quite a bit. Um, this is one of those teams where I, I like every like a, almost a player at every position enough yep. for the Patriots, where I got to kind of mix and match my lineups a little bit to get the right mix. 
But Sony Michel, especially on DraftKings at 5,500, it seems like he's really stabilized that backfield. Um, you know, the injury to Rex Burkhead has certainly helped in that regard. But Sony Michel's played at least 63% of the snaps each of the last four games. So it's, it's his backfield. Like he he is the guy. Uh, you know, James White catches some passes for a few carries here and there. Uh, but especially at 5,500 on DraftKings, I, I think Sony Michel. With the control of the backfield he has, with the points the Patriots put on the board, I think he's become a cash game sort of staple at that price. Yeah, and it's funny. We talk, we always talk about concern with the Patriots spreading around carries and all that, but Michelle has really solidified that. He has 22 rushes or more in the last three games. That's rushes, not touches. So he's actually, you know, he's get he's the guy that's getting the ball in the backfield. You mentioned James White. He's going to be the one that can catch passes. The thing with White that's wild is he has nine targets in the red zone so far this year. Gronk has one. That is really bizarre, and... My question for you is, is it actionable as in something that you expect to continue? Or do you just think the floodgates are going to open soon enough for Gronk? Because we are getting a Gronk discount on DraftKings. And this is where it gets sticky with, with Sony Michelle. It's like if if you have other back liking at similar price points, you're going to have to use them in a lineup that has Gronk. Because you're probably not putting Sony Michelle and Gronk out there in the same lineup. But a $6,000 Gronk is pretty rare. <laughs> yeah, and then you start thinking about tight end this week. Tight end's better than usual right now. Like, I think the first five or six weeks of the season, we've said tight ends terrible, tight ends bad. Um, main main slates don't have the best tight ends because of the Sunday night, Monday night, or Thursday night games pull them away. This is better than usual because of Gronk's price on drawings, the consistency we've seen with Eric Ebron, David Njoku getting Tampa Bay, you know, being one of the many Browns that you can think about playing. So I just wonder if this actual like decent setup for a few tight ends like get some people to ignore Gronk relative to how they would normally treat him at 6K on DraftKings. Yeah, I think on FanDuel, maybe you get some of that because he's 7,600. I think at 6,000, he's going to be very, very popular. And to answer your question on the red zone, I think the answer is probably both. I think that Gronkowski's obviously going to get more looks in the red zone, but I think that James White in the red zone is a real, is a, is a real thing, and they get him lined up against the linebackers. Brady's one of those guys that can that reads the play as well as anyone. I think he loves getting White matched up with the linebacker, and he gets in a spot where they just get someone that can't guard him. He gets that little uh, that little pattern towards the corner of the end zone, and if Brady makes a good throw, that's an easy touchdown. So I think, I think you get both in there you know white has 31 targets last week he has 23 catches last week so probably a guy that i like a little more in DraftKings. where you get a full point for per, per reception but the other guy i want to ask you about in the patriots is josh gordon he's 6700 on fandle this week huge bump up in snaps last week he had 18 then 18 then 63 snaps last week he had nine targets five catches 42 yards he missed on a couple deep balls they had a pass interference like right near the goal line that was called on him it seems like Brady is really, really wanting to get him involved. He, even, he had an Instagram post about uh, Gordon before the game, too, how excited he was to throw him the ball. So I wonder if they're just going to force-feed Gordon a little bit and really try and see if he's going to be the weapon they think he could be in this offense. Yeah, and I think the thing that stood out to me, aside from the overall usage going up with Josh Gordon in that game against the Chiefs, is I'm looking at the the routes he was running. And it wasn't just, hey, go deep, and if you run past somebody, we'll just throw it over the top to you. There were a lot of shorter and intermediate routes, and I think that's what bodes particularly well. He's just more integrated into the Patriots' offense now than he was a couple of weeks ago. And I think that bodes really well, uh, kind of in a universal sense. Like, if you're letting Josh Gordon do all the things that he's capable of doing when healthy, and you're giving him Tom Brady, throwing him passes, he's going to do a lot of damage. So... Uh, I've been pretty lukewarm on Gordon up until this kind of one to see a prove it week. And I think it's easy to look at the Chiefs defense and go, oh, well, that's a soft test. 
it's the way they were using him that's the most encouraging, aside from the volume. Like the types of routes he was running stand out to me as, as a really good indication of how they intend to use Josh Gordon going forward. Yeah, that's a really good point on the on the routes. And I, I kind of thought, I was lukewarm with you too. I thought he would be the guy that, you know, go deep and we'll throw it to you like you said. But you're right, you're right. He's, he was using a lot of underneath stuff too. And Bill Belichick actually noted this week they're looking to expand his role every week. So it's clear that it may not work. And I don't know if it's going to work, but it, it, it's very clear they're going to give it a chance to let it work. Yeah, and the prices are, are reasonable still, Gordon as well. 6700 over on FanDuel, 5600 on DraftKings. So... Um, again, it, it just comes down to like how much exposure you want to the Patriots offense. You know, if, if maybe you're stacking this week, this game has shootout potential based on that oh, over yeah. under total. And I think the Bears can keep pace. I think that's the other kind of interesting thing about this is for the first time in my life. And I've said this earlier in the season, the Bears have more offensive weapons than they can really all use simultaneously. Like that's never the case since I started watching football they've never had so many guys that you could look at every position and be excited about somebody and that is the case right now so on the other side of this game like pretty much everybody in the New England offense is interesting to me at varying levels which is kind of first grade sort of analysis but that's that's how they're firing right now you know and, and I think the running back and being a little cleaned up as far as the carries go helps in that regard with the Bears where do your interests lie I mean do you look at Tariq Cohen as another matchup night uh, for the Patriots, do you see Allen Robinson having a good floor, or do you, do you worry about maybe the Patriots scheming to take him away? Like, how do you see this kind of playing out from the Bears' side? I kind of feel like your comment about the Bears is an insult to the Rex Grossman, Cedric Benson era. I will <laughs> insult them until the day I'm dead, because I think that team was total garbage and had no business being anywhere near the playoff, let alone a Super Bowl. So to, to answer your question on Tariq Cohen, sorry to send you into that anger-filled uh, rant. Um, no, I'm not. I, I'm just I'm just <laughs> stating the truth. Like I I will never respect that team. Uh, Cohen is a Cohen's an interesting one because his role's been a little bit all over. He had eight touches week three, then he had the big twenty touch game in week four where you know Jordan Howard really didn't even see the field that week where they where they dominated Tampa Bay. Then he he was back down to twelve touches last week, did score a touchdown, but seventeen targets the last two weeks. But this could really be a nice game script game for him. You know the Bears are going to have to score to keep up in this game. Uh, their defense is good, but New England's going to score. I think we're pretty pretty sure about that. Um, Cohen's sixty six hundred on Fanduel. I think that's playable, but I just worry about the number of touches. You're pretty much you're pretty much hoping for a long touchdown carry or a long touchdown catch. He's got a score to be, to be worthwhile with the number of touches he gets. I think the the way the pricing works and getting the full PPR, Cohen's one of those guys that 95 times out of 100, if I'm thinking about playing him, it's on DraftKings. Yeah. It's just, he just fits that format better. Uh, a flex, you know, second running back. 5,100 is not a bad price. I think he can do some interesting things at running back. He can line up and run routes like a receiver. Um, he has that big playability. So yeah, maybe he fits better in, in tournaments because the usage can be a little bit erratic, but I, I certainly wouldn't shy away from him. I don't think the ownership rate's going to get this this week. So on the on the pass side for the Bears, Mitchell Zubrisky is 7,500 on FanDuel. Last couple games have been huge. He had the, the 354-yard, six-touchdown game we talked about against Tampa Bay, but then 316, three touchdowns last week at Miami. The interesting note in those two games is he has 100 yards rushing total in those two games, creating a really nice floor when you when you throw in that, you know, that extra five points per week rushing is really, really nice. He had, I think he had 53 and 47 yards in those two games. Again, could be a great game script. They're going to have to score to keep up. And you look at the New England defense, you know, Mahomes got him for 352 and four touchdowns, but Andrew Luck also got him for 365 and three touchdowns. 
Bortles had 377 and four of them earlier. So against any sort of decent quarterbacks, you know, they have struggled to uh, to not give up huge games. I wonder if Trubisky might be a little sneaky at 7,500. Uh, you could pair him up with with Taylor Gabriel or Trey Burton if you want to save some money. Allen Robinson, 6,500. I just worry about Allen Robinson's targets. Uh, he only has uh, seven, four, and six targets last week. He hasn't been a really target monster. It's been seven targets or less in all, but that one 14-target game he had. So uh, I'm a little lower on Allen Robinson than I was in maybe uh, maybe three or four weeks ago. Totally fair. And I think, yeah, he's become a lot more TD dependent as a result. So Gabriel keeps playing a lot more snaps than I'd expect. I did see Anthony Miller's usage tick up just a little bit. Uh, but again, they mix and match personnel really well. I, I think... You could load up a combo of you know, two Bears pass catchers with Trubisky. It's not cost you much. Uh, get Patriots exposure on the other side and, and build off a game stack here. This would work really well. Yeah, so the next one up is another game you could think about game stacking, but uh, it's kind of an interesting one. It's Cleveland at Tampa Bay. We mentioned the over-under 49-and-a-half. Uh, the Tampa, Tampa's gone over the total in all five games. The lowest combined score they have in the game is 48. That game still went over, and they've only been once under 57 total points. So it's just crazy how many points are being scored in Tampa Bay games. They rank first in yards for play on offense and last in yards for play on defense. That is almost impossible to do. Yes, it, it really is. Uh, Mike Smith, the defensive coordinator, has been fired, so see, we'll yeah. see if there's any sort of rah-rah moment here. I mean, at a certain point, it doesn't matter who's coaching if the personnel is very bad. That's kind of what we're looking at here. Uh, so maybe there's some cap bounce. They, they are at home. They are facing a rookie quarterback who might be susceptible to making some mistakes. Uh, but some of the prices on the Browns, too, just pull you right in. Carlos Hyde has uh, counts that have been down the last two weeks. But I think you still look at him as a guy who's had 14 carries or more in every single game this season. Nick Chubb played seven offensive snaps. Like, yeah, their plan might be to eventually make Nick Chubb the starter this season, it's not trending that way yet. So I think it's very tempting to look at the usage of Hyde, look at that price on both sides, and look at him as a guy that could do a lot of damage against that Bucks defense. Yeah, Nick Chubb has a 63-yard touchdown and a 41-yard touchdown against the Raiders, and the next two weeks has three carries and three carries. That seems – there seems like there's something weird going on there. I know they, they want to ease him in, but uh, that seems like, you know, why bother putting him in if he's going to score twice and have those yards, then you're not going to play him the next two weeks. It's like the McCarthy handling of Aaron Jones. It's it's kind of reaching that level. And, and it's, look, I mean, Carlos Hyde's not a bad player. Like that's that's just uh, he he worse year efficiency wise than we've seen in the past. I think he's better than three point four yards per carry. So the 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 clouds are kind of gathering, but the usage pattern is not pointing towards this being the week where Hyde just loses the job outright. I mean, it, it's. It seems like it's imminent, but this is a matchup for him to like kind of get well and keep the job a little longer, much to the chagrin of everybody who's waiting to get on board with Nick Chubb taking over and being the more explosive back of those two. So if we look at the, the Browns passing game, you mentioned uh, a rookie quarterback, Baker Mayfield, 7,100 on Fandle, very well uh, cheaply priced there. He only has four touchdowns last week, did have that 342 yards against Baltimore, which is really impressive considering what else Baltimore has done against the pass. But Tampa Bay's allowed 330 yards or more to every single quarterback so far this year. They've allowed three or more touchdowns in four or five weeks. and They've allowed 28.6 Fandle points per game, highest in the NFL so do you play Mayfield? Do you do you go for this? You know, he hasn't put up a lot of stats, but Tampa Bay defense is so bad. You know, what do you do in a spot here where, you know, maybe you don't love the quarterback fantasy-wise, but you just love going at the defense? It's tempting, but I don't think I'm going to be using Mayfield. I think my exposure to the Cleveland offense 
will be one of Landry, Hyde, or Njoku in most lineups. I mean, I'm going to be looking at those three very carefully, trying to build a little bit around each of them. With Landry, he's had double-digit targets in all but one game this season. Each of the three games that Baker Mayfield has started, he's had 10 or more. But the catch rate is low. He's got 11 catches over the last three games with, what, 31 targets? That's absurd. So target quality does matter at a certain point. And I think with as bad as Tampa Bay's defense has been, I'm willing to play Landry. I think he's still a guy that, because of the way they use him, is very much underpriced. And with that, I just don't want to also have Baker Mayfield tied to him. Things do go wrong for the offense as a whole. In case Baker's making mistakes, they're not sustaining drives. I don't want to be loaded up stack-wise with the Cleveland offense, even though Tampa Bay is usually a team you can stack against. Yeah, and you mentioned Njoku, you know, 30 targets in the last three games with, with Baker Mayfield, back-to-back double-digit target weeks. He had 12 targets last week that put him top five in the NFL overall, including running backs and receivers. Um, the, the the Bucks have given up uh, 16.9 FanDuel points per game to tight ends, which is the league worst, so another league worst for Tampa Bay. They've given up over 70 yards to four different tight ends in only five weeks. They've given up a touchdown to a tight end in the last three weeks. I think Njoku at 5,700 FanDuel is easily my favorite tight end of the week. Yeah, I mean, I expect him to be the highest-owned yeah, tight end because he's former first-round pick who's very gifted, and he's been very productive, and the role just looks as stable as it could be. Absolutely yeah. love David Njoku. And if you're if you're worried about Landry, I, I'd be less worried about Njoku. He's a bigger target. He's going to run some shorter routes. like that's, And he's good after the catch, too. I mean, that's he's not the, the big, fat tight end that catches the ball and just gets dragged down right away. He's explosive. So on the on the Tampa Bay side, you know they uh, Jameis Winston's first game last week. He had, he just he only all he did was throw for 395 yards and four touchdowns against the Falcons. Another really good game script for him here as a, as a three point favorite with a 50 point over under 49 and a half. Uh, interesting enough though, you look at Cleveland and and David Carr is the only guy who's had over two touchdowns against them this year. I know some of that is probably game script, but um, their pass defense has actually hung in there pretty well. Yeah, it, I, it, this is a, a unit that defensively is really good or at least has the potential to be really good but maybe the inexperience leads them to still make big mistakes on occasion I don't have a great grasp of, of why it's inconsistent just yet maybe it's the Greg Williams factor I mean Greg Williams defenses I don't know they, they seem like they underachieve even when they're not supposed to be that good they seem worse than not good anyway I'm looking at the Jameis situation again this week it's hard not to lean on him again He's 7,800 on FanDuel, so he's less than Goff, uh, less than Andrew Luck, less than Brady by 900 bucks. I, I get it. He's at home. They they may not be able to run it that well. Like I, I look at Tampa Bay, the way they used Peyton Barber last week. Barber put up great numbers, but I still don't really think Peyton Barber's that good. So that may force them to lean pretty heavily on their passing game this week. Yeah, and the Browns have actually allowed a, a good amount of, of yardage on the ground, 130 yards plus to running back ones in three of the first five weeks. So, uh, you know, Barber was uh, was quiet, then he was hurt, and then he had uh, 82 yards last week, and everybody thought maybe coming out of that, coming out of that game that Ronald Jones was going to get a lot of carries, and that really didn't work. Uh, Peyton Barber had like four times as many snaps. But what do you do with the with the, the past catchers in Tampa? If you do like uh, Winston, Mike Evans was quiet the last couple weeks. He had a monster first two weeks, and then – was disappointing in that game last week against the Falcons that everybody was playing both sides of. He was only four catch, fifty-eight yards on five targets. Um, Cleveland's allowed a lot of big, a lot of big games to wide receiver one so far this year, but Keenan Allen was pretty quiet last week against them, only four catches for sixty-two yards. 
Deshaun Jackson had nine targets last week to Winston, which was which is good because we were worried about uh, how much they would click after not clicking last year. Um, Chris Godwin had a couple of red zone looks. He only had a nine. He had nine targets. Uh, he only had fifty six yards, but scored a touchdown. Looking at him at the red zone, you had OJ Howard back. What the heck do you do if you want to pair someone up to Winston? Who's your favorite? It would be Evans for me at seventy seven hundred, and I don't know if I'm actually going to build a lineup that. So just full disclosure, but that'd be the preferred pairing if I were going to, you know, put a receiver with Jameis Winston. Yeah, I think under eight thousand on FanDuel, Evans has that 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 price drop right now that I, I do like to see. Back to back down weeks is something that we like from a uh, from I think what's uh, definitely considered a stud wide receiver one. Um, I think Evans is a, a very interesting guy this week. I think he'll be pretty high percentage in this game. I think a lot of people are going to attack this game. Um, I'm uh, I'm pretty heavy on Evans this week too. Yeah, he's he's just such a nightmare because he's so big, you know. DBs have a really difficult time. It it gives Jameis a nice little margin for error when he targets him too. So before I move on to our next game, a, a note from one of our sponsors, Fantasy Draft. Fantasy Draft is great. It has super flexible lineups. For the NFL, there's no kicker, and you can draft four running backs if you want. In the NBA, lineups are even more flexible. You want to play five guards and two centers? No problem on Fantasy Draft. Uh, this week, they feature their $100,000 run-and-gun weekly feature GPP with a $25 buy-in. They also have their $500,000 Fantasy Draft Championship that gives $100,000 to first place, and there are weekly qualifiers that are happening now. The final for that appears in Week 16. Uh, there's a rake-free head-to-head contest for under $200 or half the rake to the other guys for the rest. That means if you and a friend both enter $100 head-to-head, the winner gets $200. Fantasy Draft takes no fees. Now is your call to action. You sign up now, you'll get a free $4 GPP ticket with initial deposit. Just sign up with a referral code, ROTOWIRE. I did look at some fancy draft uh, salaries. I like uh, Kirk Cousins this week, the eighth, eighth highest quarterback on fancy draft this week, and Stefan Diggs, the 11th highest priced wide receiver. Do like that uh, that stack if you're going to play on fantasy draft. Uh, Derek, nice, we, nice bargains. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I like both of those. Uh, next game, we have Detroit at Miami. Detroit is minus three, over under 47. Our third straight game with a, a low spread and a pretty good over under. Um, I kind of like the Detroit offense a little bit here. Uh, Matthew Stafford has multiple touchdowns the last four weeks. Miami only allowed two touchdowns passing the first three weeks, but then seven over the last three weeks. So they've, their pasty has definitely uh, eased up a little bit as the season's gone along. Pretty good game script for Stafford uh, with the uh, with the low uh, low total or the high, the decent total and the low spread. Uh, how do you feel about Stafford this week? Seventy five hundred on Fanduel. I mean, he might make an interesting alternative to people playing Trubisky or Jameis. Yeah, I, I think Stafford sometimes gets forgotten. Yeah, you know, he's just kind of the, the older, boring quarterback that generally gets a lot of attempts because that's the way that team is built. Um, the weirdest thing I, I think the Lions did all season. I guess there's kind of it's a tie for week one <laughs> getting mashed at home by the Jets and then week three owning the Patriots and, and playing really well in that spot. Those are equally weird at opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, a little surprising that just the, the attempts were down the last two games. But you think about Dallas as a slow tempo team that changes things a lot. Uh, and the Packers being so far behind in that game. Staff rolling through 26 passes in that matchup against the Packers. I don't think that's indicative of like a shift in philosophy. I think it's just the way those games played out. Um, so I, I do like this setup a little bit. I think teams can uh, take on each other's defense and, and move the ball effectively. 46 and a half is a, is a nice over under. It's not way off the higher games on this slate. Um, so I think it could be one of the overlooked matchups and, I'm torn though because like I'm probably not playing Stafford. I'm probably not going that far down. I don't have any uh, any any obvious reason not to. Carryon Johnson's the guy that you want to see get more touches. He looked so good in those opportunities against the Packers before leaving that game with an ankle injury. 
I believe he was a full participant in practice to start the week, so that, that bodes really well for his chances of being out there uh, against a Miami defense that's been particularly weak against running backs catching passes, too. So if Theo Riddick isn't playing, on Johnson creeps up quite a bit as far as my interest is concerned. Funny, you mentioned weird things the Lions do, and I think the weirdest thing they've done is give 47 carries to a running back who's averaging two and a half yards per tote. Yeah, that's uh, that's you know that's not what you want. And before everybody says, oh, well, LeGarrette Blount scores all the short touchdowns, he has two touchdowns this year. So his 47 carries uh, only being for two and a half yards is not because he's scoring a lot of one-yard touchdowns. No, it is not. And on Johnson the last three weeks, 16 for a buck, a buck 01 against New England, 955 and a touchdown against Dallas, 12 for 70 against Green Bay. And the guy just looks good when he carries the ball. I didn't love him coming in the season, but every time I've watched him this year, he's really impressed me. It seems crazy to me he's not getting the ball a little bit more. Yeah, increase the snaps, increase the touches. That's certainly the risk right now. But again, keep an eye on the status of Theo Riddick because if Johnson's out there uh, in passing situations, that changes things a lot. LeGarrette Blunt can't do that. He will not do that. So that's that's the thing you're looking for if you're going to get excited about on Johnson this week. So Miami's allowed a 100-yard wide receiver the last couple of weeks. Uh, do you have a preference in this uh, in this wide receiver core between Tate or Marvin Jones or Kenny Galladay? I think for, for cash games, I still like Golden Tate. I just think that, that target floor, that usage is generally really safe. We see that week in and week out, 8-8-7 eight, eight, and seven the last three games. And again, the 8-7 and seven the last two weeks were in games where they didn't have to throw it that much. So... I think he's that guy that you get at a pretty discounted price right now. I think he's 6,400 on DraftKings and 400 on FanDuel. Uh, he's actually one of my favorite cash game receivers on DraftKings at that price. Yeah, I do like him in cash games too. If I'm playing in a tournament and I play in a few lineups, I think a Stafford-Galladay stack is a, is a tournament one that uh, will be really good and will be really uh, kind of overlooked in low percentage. I think Galladay will be owned, but I think the Stafford-Galladay stack is one you can slide through and it'll be a pretty low percentage. I would agree. I think Galladay is going to be popular, but Stafford is a little bit of an afterthought. So there's a few defenses I like this week. One of them is the Lions D. Uh, they're only 3,800. If I'm looking to save money somewhere, it's probably there. They're the they're the one defense under 4,000 on FanDuel that I do like. Um, they have seven sacks the last couple of games. They are facing Brock Osweiler, and I think that you know everybody saw Osweiler play well last week. I'm not buying into that. I've got enough uh, enough other uh, enough other watchings of Brock Osweiler, Osweiler think that he throws a pick six this week or something close to it. Um, I really like if you want to save some money, I think Detroit D is the best option on FanDuel under 4,000. Yeah, I mean, prove it again, Brock yeah, Osweiler, for sure. especially with that supporting cast and coach. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer Credit Card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cash back or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from VCUSA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Anybody on the uh, Miami side, uh, Detroit's allowing the, the third lowest FanDuel points per game to opposing wide receivers. I will probably stay away from uh, jumping on Albert Wilson after the big week last week. Kenyon Drake is 6,300 on FanDuel. You know, Gore was better last week. Uh, no way to put that. Gore ran for 100 yards. 
But, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake was still 1357. He had six targets. He has 17 targets last couple weeks. So we're using him a little bit differently, but getting the ball in his hand is a good thing. Uh, Detroit has allowed 300 yard rushers in, in, in the first five weeks. Um, I just wonder uh, on Drake, it's hard to, it's hard to get behind the usage right now. You're kind of banking on a receiving touchdown to really have him pay off. It'd be tournaments only on DraftKings as like a $4,900 flex play. Um, it's still kind of like a 60-40 or 65-35 split based on the snaps. And I think until that gap gets wider, that's as much as you can trust Kenyon Drake. And the crazy thing is it's the complete opposite. When I mean, you look at the number of carries, I mean, Gore's out carrying him, I think, every single week. Yeah, it's nice to have a, a pass-catching running back who's really explosive on the field as a decoy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt there. Uh, one last note on this game, if you're looking for kind of a, a, a PPR flyer, uh, Danny Amendola's 5,000 on FanDuel. He had 11 targets in Week 6, 859. He's even a better play on DraftKings. We get a point per reception. Uh, a guy that's going to fly under the radar, hasn't done much this season, but off the 11 target game, I kind of like getting him as a, as a cheap money-saving guy, especially on DraftKings. Yeah, the other play I'm watching in this game, and it's not not at all a guy that I'm throwing into a lineup this week, is Nick O'Leary. Because I thought Mike Gusecki was going to have a pretty big role as the, the rookie tight end there. But O'Leary, you know, kind of a former high-pedigree sort of prospect. I don't know, it seemed like he was much more involved the last couple of weeks than I ever would have expected. So I just want to see if that continues. More for future consideration, if nothing else. All right, uh, next game is a, a pretty good matchup. Carolina at Philadelphia. Phillies fared by 4.5 over under a 45. Uh, Cam Newton priced up on FanDuel. He's 8,200 there. Uh, multiple touchdowns in four straight games. He did run for 71 yards in a touchdown against the Eagles last year, so that's some success running the ball against the Eagles defense last season. Uh, he's averaging nearly ton, 10 rushes per game. Just adds a nice floor to Cam every week when you, you know you're going to get those, uh, those 40, 50 rushing yards. Yeah, it really does. And, and where, where do you stand? For this week, I'm sorry. Say that again. What? Where are you? So where are you at then for this week on that? Uh, you know, I just uh, I think on the road against Philly at that price, there's just other quarterbacks I like more. I wouldn't argue with you if you wanted to play Cam, but just someone that uh, I, I I like Carson Wentz actually on the other side of this game a little bit more. So I think I think Cam's fully priced, just not someone I'm going to be playing on the road this week against the Eagles. Yeah, I just think it's it's definitely it's just a good defense. It's one of those random matchups where Cam could go nuts, but he's definitely tournament only Carson Wentz man I, I I I just didn't want anything to do with him coming off the injury as quickly as he did I was kind of worried about Elshon Jeffrey too and they have more than proven like oh, they're fine post-surgery like they look really good again like I I'm really looking forward to Wentz and Jeffrey as a possible combo this week too because Jeffrey's usage has been really steady I mean, look, look at what he's done the three he's played since coming off that injury. It's like, what, 8, 9, and 12 for the targets? So 29, I think, in three games. He just he just looks healthy again. I think he was playing hurt for pretty significant chunks of last season. Yeah, Wentz, you know, looked a little rusty early on, has, has really knocked that rust off. He has seven touchdowns the last three games, including three last week against the Giants. The Panthers have given up multiple touchdown passes in each of the last four games. So, you know, an offense, you've been able to pass the ball against a little bit recently. And you're right about Jeffrey. I mean, 12 targets last week, two touchdowns. He is uh, – I wonder if maybe they did – really did him a service sitting him out those first couple weeks and, and really waiting until he got healthy because there was a lot of uh, will he or won't he those first couple weeks, and they held him out, and he, he looks like he's fully recovered now. Yeah, kudos to him if uh, – or to them if that's what they did, make sure he was 100%. I realize that – the Vikings kind of contained him pretty effectively, but they still try to 
the ball a lot. And the other two games against the Titans and Giants were big. So uh, I'm pretty excited about Jeffrey this week. I mentioned a little earlier, as far as cash game receivers go, you know, Golden Tate at or near the top of my list. Elshon Jeffrey's near the top of that list as well. What about uh, what about Zach Ertz week? We talked about how we both thought Njoku is going to be popular. I think um, Gronkowski will be popular also, especially on on DraftKings at six thousand. But Ertz is just still a target monster. His nine targets last week were actually the fewest he's had in any game all year. So that tells you, uh, you know how much they target him. He's had over forty yards every week. He scored he scored the last couple of weeks. Carolina's given up a touchdown to a tight end in three of the last four weeks. Uh, Vernon Davis, C.J. Uzama, and Austin Hooper not exactly huge names that have done pretty well against them. Uh, I wonder if you might be able to slide Ertz in a little lower percentage than usual this week with the other popular tight ends you mentioned earlier. It's a, it's a different tight end week this week. Yeah, I just think you're going to see people getting tempted to save money there because they yep, I do too. can. I mean, I think that's that's where some tournament logic on Ertz especially uh, becomes pretty interesting. The Gronk price on DraftKings, we mentioned before, Rudolph's under 4K, although the way they're using Kyle Rudolph, I, I don't know. Like a, a little bit of tournament exposure would be fine, but... I think he's. I, I, I think know. he's way. I, I think he's way too touchdown dependent. Yeah, I, I, that's that's why I think it's kind of just tournaments only for him right yeah. now. I mean, Thielen's just been a monster, and Diggs <laughs> a is bit, yeah. a good like one B. But the guy in that setup right now is getting less because the first two guys, especially the first guy, have just been so awesome. Uh, but yeah, Ertz in a tournament makes some sense. Is this a game stackable? Did you did, would you think about maybe going, you know, a combination of, of Wentz? Jeffrey Ertz in a tournament plus maybe Devin Funches whose usage continues to be pretty steady like Carolina for a team that uses a lot of pass catchers actually has a very clear hierarchy in how they're using those receivers right now Funches is at the top of that food chain yeah I mean he's had seven targets uh, or more in the last four weeks uh, over 50 yards in each of those but none over 80 he's one of those guys that probably is touchdown dependent too but in a tournament you know that's fine he had a nice touchdown catch last week uh, Philly played well last week against receivers, but I mean, uh, a couple weeks before that, Thielen had 116, Diggs had 91, Corey Davis, you remember, lit them up a couple weeks ago, and that's a, a pass offense that is truly abysmal, and they did really well against the Eagles. So yeah, I think that uh, I think the Eagles are a team you can attack with some wide receivers. Uh, what about Greg Olson? 5,900 on FanDuel, he's back. He played almost every snap and got seven targets. There was no uh, easing him into the game plan. Um, the Eagles have been pretty good against tight ends, only one guy over 50 yards on them. Uh, I think I'm. There's other tight ends I like more than Olsen, but I, in a tournament, I could see maybe trying to get him in there with the with the heavy usage from last week. Yeah, I'm probably irrationally fearful of the foot being a problem again because it's a multi-year issue. And I don't. This I don't think that. So I don't think much, that's irrational. I think that. I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. Even if the usage is there, it it just it scares me. I mean, this he's had an amazing career. He's put so much wear and tear at the at playing that position for you know, ten plus years now. I. I don't like it because I just feel like the, the the week I finally commit to it is the week where he has that setback in the first half and just leaves me kind of hanging out to dry. Yeah, I think there's just too many other options of tight ends that I like more to, to go with him. I was actually surprised how much he played last week. Uh, what about Christian McCaffrey? You know, kind of one of those guys has been really good all year. Is a little bit quiet last week. He still had eight targets and seven catches, but only eight carries for 20 yards. Saquon Barkley thrashed this defense last week. 13 carries for a buck 30, nine catches for 99 yards. Granted, Saquon Barkley is kind of a freak a little bit, but uh, do you like McCaffrey at all if you wanted to maybe get on the other side of the, the Eagles offense uh, with, with some, some you know attacking the Carolina offense a little bit to get a game stack going? Yeah, I think the McCaffrey question this week comes down to does he, for the price difference, he's 7,700 on DraftKings, 8,000 on FanDuel, for 2,000 less, actually more than 2,000 less than Todd Gurley <laughs> on both sites, 
are you getting enough per dollar to then have that extra money to spend elsewhere? Is it is it relative to Gurley at the very top of the board this week in particular with these matches? And the implied team total is about 10 points less for the Panthers than it is for the Rams. And the Rams are playing without Cooper Cup, so that's one of their their key offensive pieces that they may not have a simple one-for-one one sort of adjustment for. Like I'm, I'm a little torn because I think Gurley could eat just like he did last week against Denver. This could be another monster performance for him, uh, just as as they protect the lead. And and I don't I don't think San Francisco's defense is going to have an answer for him. Uh, no, I don't think they will either. We'll, we'll we'll get into that game, and it's an interesting one with with like you mentioned with the cup out. Gurley becomes more involved in the passing game, but I think there's probably a couple other running backs we're going to get to that I like a little more than McCaffrey in the range this week. So I think if I go off Gurley, it's going to be to someone else. Um, but uh, let's move on to the next one. We've got uh, Buffalo at Indy. Uh, Buffalo starting at new quarterback Derek Anderson this week with Josh Allen being injured. Uh, Indy's favored by seven and a half, over under a forty three. Anything you like on the Buffalo offense to intrigue you a little bit? Uh, the Colts have allowed 37 points or more in three straight games. Uh, does that make you bite on the Bills offense, which has scored seven touchdowns all year long? It's it's <laughs> sort of tempting, and I, I tweeted this yesterday. It wasn't an endorsement. It was more just seeing the, the Kelvin Benjamin buzz and uh, saying, okay, like clearly, yes, Derek Anderson has played on the same team as Kelvin Benjamin before, and he's even – started a handful of games, and in those games, which I believe was a total of three, uh, all of which were played at least two years ago, you know, Kelvin Benjamin was pretty heavily targeted in those matchups. But does that matter? Like, Kelvin Benjamin might not even be close to that player that he was when he played those games with Derek Anderson before. Uh, go back to 2014. Two of these games from 2014. Six for 92 and a score on eight targets. Eight for 104. And that was 13 targets in week 14 of 2014. And then in uh, week five of 2016, five for 70 on nine targets. So you add it all up, it's 10 targets per game. He, he's on the field a ton. Zay Jones is out there a lot. They haven't used Charles Clay as much as expected. Maybe they dump it off to Shady. Part of it's the lack of weapons. That's part of it anyway. But do we do we believe that Derek Anderson in behind that line can be as productive as he was with Kelvin Benjamin a few years ago in a different situation. Like I'm a little hesitant to buy in on that. And maybe that makes me weird. I don't think Kelvin Benjamin is anywhere near the same human being specimen that he was four years ago. Yeah. I, I mean, aside from the last week thing, like, did you see that report before the game started where yeah, it was awesome. Josh Allen asked Benjamin if he wanted to like work <laughs> on routes and he just said, no, how beautiful is that? <laughs> Nah, man, I got a, I got a, I got a playlist to listen to. I, I mean, can't be bothered to, to run routes with you. You're like on the field warming up. I can't imagine saying no to that. That was a great report. But I mean, Benjamin's crazy. He has he has 17 targets the last three weeks. He has four catches on those 17 targets, and some of that's gonna be Josh Allen, but some of that's him. I've seen him drop a couple of passes. I've seen him at a couple of passes where he's about to get hit that he wanted no part of getting hit. I don't know. That, I, I'm pretty sure his body's not the same. I'm not sure his mind is really in this game right now either. He almost got. Completely blown up. I mean, he did get blown up by ha-ha Clinton Dix in that Packer game, too. Josh Allen stared him down, <laughs> threw him right into the safety. And, I, again, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, came back into that game somehow in the fourth quarter after laying there. And, and like, the Packers trainers ran onto the field while the play was still happening because he looked that unconscious, like, instantly. Like, that's that's how hard Calvin Benjamin got hit. 
So if he doesn't want to play anymore, yeah, I kind of get it. Maybe having Derek Anderson instead of Josh Allen does motivate him a little bit. Bottom line, I'm not going to go crazy and have Benjamin everywhere. Like I, I just, I think he's just kind of like, yeah, like you said, either lost interest and or lost a step, and that matters. Plus, the offensive line play for Buffalo is horrible. I don't, yes, I do not want exposure to that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, it's a smaller state slate, but there's still ten games. There's still twenty offenses to pick from. I'm just not going to play Bills offensive players until I, I've given. I'm given any reason to do so. I mean, seven touchdowns all year is just horrendous. Yeah, don't don't walk into the Bills offense. You absolutely do not have to do that. So what about uh, what about the Colts offense? Uh, Andrew Luck is uh, has been hot. He's priced up to 8,200 on Fanduel, 300 plus touchdowns and 11 or 300 plus yards and 11 touchdowns over the last three weeks. Uh, Buffalo did hold Deshaun Watson down really well last week to 177 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they haven't allowed a 300 yard passing yet. Some of that's game script though. They've been trailing in a bunch of games. Uh, you know, aside from that Minnesota game, they've been trailing in most of their games. But Buffalo does have the third best opposing uh, quarterback points per game on FanDuel. So do you buy into any of that with Buffalo? You think it's all game script? Uh, what do you do with Luck this week? And now that he's you know back up to a fully priced level, interest starts to wane, of course, with the the price ticking up. But it's a, it's a volume passing game, unlike anything we've seen in recent NFL. I mean, fifty three thirty one forty sixty two fifty nine forty. He's got 288 <laughs> attempts in six games. He's on pace to have almost 600 through 12 games with four left to play. Like, that's that's totally insane that he's throwing the ball this much. Was he going to throw 825 passes this year? <laughs> he I, just might. He, he might. He might because they, they don't run it that well. But Marlon came back last week. That could change it a little bit. They could have a little more balance with Mack than they had with Jordan Wilkins. Uh, you know, So that's part of it. The other part of it is that if, if you don't think the – are going to move the ball that well, and I'm kind of leaning that way, then they may not have to throw it as much, they being Indy, because they may be in a position to protect the lead and just run Marlon Mack instead. I mean, Mack, over seven yards per carry last week against the Jets, played 24 snaps, had 12 carries. I'm expecting that to tick up again here in week seven. Yeah, I mean, someone, they, they needed someone to break out in that backfield. It looked like Mac really did last week with the 12 for 89, like you mentioned, against the Jets. Uh, if you do buy into Indy, throwing the ball a ton again, is there, is there a receiver you prefer? T.Y. Hilton uh, practiced fully on Wednesday, had a limited practice today, but sounds like he's going to be back. He last played in week four. He has double-digit targets in three of the four games he has played. Of course, one of those was the limited snaps when he got hurt. He only had 43 snaps in that game, but... Um, you know, the Bills have only allowed one 100-yard receiver. That was Adam Thielen, who gets 100 yards against everybody. Only one wide receiver touchdown in the last yeah. four games. Uh, do, you go with, do you go with Hilton at the at the less-than-normal price of 7300 Do you look to Eric Ebron, priced up at 6800 I mean, he's been a monster for targets with Jack Doyle out. Yeah, I think Doyle's probably still out again this week. He's Sounds still like not it, practicing yeah. as of Thursday. So Ebron, to me, is the guy you still pair with luck. I think Hilton coming off the hamstring is pretty iffy. Maybe there's some GPP appeal, but Luck's ability to throw downfield still seems pretty compromised to me. And that really hurts T.Y. Hilton. Even though he's good after the catch, you you just you wish Drew Luck could get him over the top after he burns somebody closer to the line of scrimmage. So uh, I'm looking at Hilton. I'm going to try to take a prove-it week on him. And if I'm using Luck this week, I'm going to pair him with Eric Ebron. I mean, it's amazing. Eric Ebron is cash viable. That is, yeah. that is That has become a thing. It's, uh, it's Can you wild. imagine having? No. Could you have ever said that, like in previous years, with a straight face? Uh, no, because you, the second you said it, he would have dropped three passes in a row, and you would have taken the smile off your face. It's fun that he's good now. It I, is. I, we needed tight ends to emerge, so I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not 
mad or sad about it. I'm glad he's playing well. He has he has a touchdown in five of six, six games, including a one week where he had two touchdowns. It, it's crazy how good he's been. Yeah, he's he's tracking to have a pretty monster year. It's not like crazy efficient, but it's steady in terms of usage and opportunities. So we've seen the past couple of weeks. There's been some some defense that have really made a difference, especially in uh, in both on Fanduel and DraftKings defenses that had big weeks that, that did well. So I want to focus on other defense here. The Colts defense is 4100 on Fanduel. They're priced pretty well down. They're a little bit more than the Lions who we talked about earlier, but they had a five sack game in Week Three and a seven sack game in Week Four. They've been a little down the last couple of weeks, but Buffalo's allowed ten sacks last week. You mentioned their offensive line multiple times when talking about their offense. And if anything, they got less mobile at quarterback. I mean, I think Josh Allen kind of saved them from some sacks. You know, say what you want about some of his passes and some of his decisions, but he did get out of a lot of situations where he scrambled and got out of sacks. Um, they've the Colts defense forced multiple turnovers the last couple of weeks. Um, you gotta like the Colts defense. I know people are excited about Derek Anderson and what he can maybe do and maybe get some points for the Bills, but Colts defense at forty one hundred, it got it got to be a popular one this week. Yeah, if it falls, if you build the rest of your lineup and it, that that's about what you have left to spend, I absolutely think they're worth considering in that range. No question about it. I think they're 3300 on DraftKings, so pretty affordable in, in both places when you consider uh, some of the they've been able to do with, with those sacks, with those turnovers, and with Derek Anderson behind a bad offensive line. Even if you think Derek Anderson's still good, the Bills' offensive <laughs> line is very, very bad. So moving to the next game, we have an interesting, uh, interesting uh, slate or interesting game on the slate with Minnesota at the Jets. The Vikings are favored by three on the road, so a, a nice game script here. Over under forty six and a half. Kirk Cousins has been a little quiet lately. Only one touchdown is in uh, passing in three of his last four games, but he does have two hundred ninety five plus yards in three of those four games. Uh, the last four quarterbacks against or last three quarterbacks against the Jets: Andrew Luck three hundred one and four touchdowns, Case Keenum three seventy seven and two touchdowns. Blake Bortles, 388 and two touchdowns. So a couple of those are were quarterbacks that were struggling, had really big yardage games against the Jets. I love Kirk Cousins this week, my favorite quarterback uh, on FanDuel. Really? So is, is he your, your cash game staple at quarterback? Is, uh, I love the Cousins-Stephon Diggs stack this week. Okay. All right. I, I mean, it just it's so hard to go away from Thielen right now with how he's playing. The price certainly ties things up a bit. But, man, Adam Thielen just looks amazing. He does. I mean, 100 yards, six games in a row. Slot receivers have done really well against the Jets, and the Jets secondary has a bunch of injuries. I just wonder with all the all the Thielen buzz this week, if maybe the Jets slide some uh, some additional defensive help to there. You know, Stefan Diggs was really quiet last week, three catches for three yards, but he had a lot of Patrick Peterson. You know, Thielen was in the slot. Peterson guarded Diggs a lot. Uh, Diggs had double-digit cart targets four straight weeks before last week game. I think that I like really like getting Diggs off the quiet week. Uh, in a week where everybody's talking about Adam Thielen, he's breaking records. We all we hear about is Mankato State not getting drafted and all that. Thielen's awesome. I just think this is a Diggs week. Uh, a little bit of a, as your boy Vlad said, that would say a little bit of a gut play here. But uh, I think that I think Diggs is better than Thielen this week, and I think a Cousins Diggs stack is probably my favorite quarterback receiver stack of the week. Vlad's probably gonna have a dream Saturday night that Diggs scores <laughs> like three TDs and you know wins somebody the Millionaire Maker. So if that, if that, if that happens, 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 especially put in, yeah, put him in every lineup. <laughs> absolutely follow through on digs if, if vlad dreams that up um so i mean we talked about Thielen, we talked about Diggs. i think we talked about rudolph earlier uh the, the running back situation in minnesota is tough um dalvin cook has practiced uh yesterday and day, so it looks like he's gonna play but i just don't know how many carries we're gonna see how much we're gonna get out of him how long he can make in the game i think i just probably avoid him and latavius unless there's some kind of news that breaks before the game 
in the first two weeks, if that gives us any indication of what they may do once once Cook's 100% healthy, and there's not really any way to know that he's 100% healthy until he kind of shows that he's 100% healthy, it was 80-20 in week one as far as the snaps favoring Cook, and it was 68-32 in week two uh, against Green Bay. And then the injury happened, I think, in overtime or late in that game, and from there it was just kind of the Murray show the last few weeks. So if it's 68-32 or something close to that as they ease him back in, it does kind of just wipe both of those guys off the radar. Uh, I mean, especially in cash games, it wouldn't be usable at all. But Cook could maybe, maybe be like a tournament dart if you think, hey, he's going to rip off some long runs, and even if he only gets 12 carries and a few catches, he'll be good. But I, I just don't see it until Cook sort of proves that that hamstring is no longer an issue. Yeah, I love Cook, but I, like you said, I think I'm going to wait to. I think you mentioned somebody else approve it week. I think I want to see him do it once and see that that, that he can play through a full game before I play him. On the on the Jets side, I do think Minnesota is going to score some points here. On the Jets side, is there anybody that you kind of like to uh, you know maybe keep up with the Vikings? Is there anybody on the side of the ball that you can think about playing? Because there's there's maybe one guy for me, but there's not much. Uh, you look at the pass catchers and and maybe. Maybe you expect Bilal Powell to just be catching a lot of passes out of the backfield and as they have to dump it down and, and try to keep drives going as they play catch-up. Nunwa versus Anderson is always like a really tough kind of thing for me. Like Quincy Anunwa should, well, he's hurt now, but like, do his targets go to one guy? Like, that's the, that's the question for that I have. Like, is, is Robbie Anderson going to absorb all those targets? Jermaine Curse's usage was up last week. I, I just... I like the talent, like Anderson and Terrell Pryor, ever the raw talent, the raw ability those guys have. I just have no good feel for how much Sam Darnold is going to lean on any one of them. It sure seems like last week that Jermaine Kirsch just kind of slid into that Quincy Anunma role, and he, you know, he had ten targets, nine catches for ninety-four yards, and. I just wonder if the way this offense is built, it's just that slot receiver is going to get a lot of looks no matter who it is. And uh, he's priced really well. He's 5000 on FanDuel. I haven't looked at his DraftKings price, but I'm sure he's really cheap there. I don't know if I trust it, but if I were looking to save a lot of money, I mean, I wouldn't argue with trying to go against Jermaine Curse and thinking that maybe Minnesota gets out to a lead and they throw the ball underneath. You know, a lot of times he gets double-digit targets again. Yeah, if he is in the Nunwa role, then that's the kind of the really cheap, discounted, awesome volume sort of receiver this week Xavier Rhodes will probably be on the outside so I guess Rhodes matches up a bit with Robbie Anderson which takes away some of that Robbie Anderson appeal for sure yeah and curses 4100 on DraftKings I mean a guy that if he if you see double digit targets or even close to that if you're 4100 DraftKings with with PPR full point PPR I mean that's that's gold right there is he this week's Chester Rogers yeah, I mean, that's the thing, as he could be. And he's still Jermaine Curse, which is the which is the thing. But, uh, you know, the way Anun was getting looks in that uh, in that, in that that role, uh, you just wonder if maybe the way the offense is designed, if, you know, now now it's Curse's role for a couple weeks. Uh, I don't I don't love Jermaine Curse, but I, I sure love whoever's seeing 10 targets a game. Yeah, that's that's definitely the, the appeal. Cheap, cheap targets in a situation where you have a team that probably has to throw it more than they want to throw it this week. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good combo right there. Uh, moving on to the next one, we have Houston visiting Jacksonville. Jacksonville off a couple of uh, rough games. They lost to Kansas City and Dallas. They really looked bad against the Cowboys last week. Jacksonville's fared by five in this game at home, over under a 42. Um, on the Houston side of the ball, I know the Jacksonville defense has been down a little bit the last couple weeks. Are, are you attacking anyone uh, from the Texans here? Deshaun Watson has been getting hit a ton. He looks pretty banged up. 
he looks really banged up, and that price fell. And, yep, and if the usage is anywhere near normal usage, 6,900, even against the Jags, even if the Jags' defense is healthier than it was a week ago and starts to rebound, the usage for DeAndre Hopkins defense last year is probably the best thing you can look at just because it was the closest thing to the current iteration of the Jacksonville defense. Hopkins had 29 targets in those two games. Will Fuller, I think, only played in one of those two games. In the one that Fuller played, which is later in the year, Hopkins had 13 targets in that matchup. Uh, didn't go crazy. I think it was like a four for 80, no touchdown. But they were trying to get him the ball a lot. And that wasn't uh, that was not a Deshaun Watson game either yeah. late in the year. So yeah, that's a little bump up too. Watson's been getting smacked around a lot too. So this the interest in this game, to be completely honest, for me, like at 5.30 Eastern on Thursday, it still hinges a lot on the health of several key pieces of that Jacksonville defense. If they're as banged up as they were last week, and they're vulnerable because, I mean, look what Dallas did to them. That's a stupid, crappy offense. <laughs> Should only be able to run the ball. And they were just getting worked by Cole Beasley, of all people. Yeah, I mean, Beasley with 101 yards and two touchdowns is crazy. They gave up two touchdowns receiving all year to wide receivers before that, and Beasley had two himself. So they've given up four touchdowns this year, two to Cole Beasley, two to Chris Hogan. Uh, I don't think the odds of that were very high. Really, really strange. <laughs> um, any any interest in a Kiki Kuti, 5,600 on FanDuel? You know, it looks like the slot is kind of the way to attack Jacksonville. We talked about uh, Beasley getting 100 yards last week. Um, he only had five five, tar- five targets last week. It was kind of down from the first couple weeks that he was playing. But I don't know. I, I, I don't love anybody against the Jacksonville defense. Obviously, they haven't looked as good. But I, I think they're going to be pretty motivated this week to, uh, to make a statement. I think I'm probably veering away from the Texans this week. I, I worry about how much Watson's getting hit. That A, he could get hurt. B, he could get sacked a lot. Yeah, they can get a lot of pressure when they're right. So it's an easy offense to steer away from. It's one of a few you look at. And like, it's kind of like... Buffalo for different reasons like Buffalo there's not good but for Houston like this is a really tough matchup the Jags have been getting worked these last couple of weeks they're back home now if they're healthier especially it's an easy game to walk away from Uh, QT would be one of those guys that the projected usage might be enough to get him into some lineups but I'm still lukewarm on I think if I'm playing anybody on side of this game it's probably DeAndre Hopkins or if Leonard Fournette's ruled out, you know, TJ Yeldon becomes pretty interesting again. Yeah, Yeldon should have a better game script last week. He was, you know, he had 11 touches last week, but he was pretty much game scripted out of that game because they got behind the Cowboys. But he had 100 total yards in the three weeks before that. I'm pretty sure that Fournette's not going to play. I think Yeldon's a, a decent play. I don't know if the upside is huge, but I think he's a pretty solid play. Uh, we'll get a lot of touches. Could be a good game script. If they get ahead in the game, they're going to feed him a lot down the stretch. Um, I think he's someone that uh, they pretty nice bounce back off the poor game last week. Yeah, right around 20 touches in weeks four and five. So I think that's more in line with what they intend to do with TJ Yeldon most weeks, barring something really unusual in the game script. And he's he's looked good when he's played. I mean, even against the Cowboys last week, he had eight carries for 41 yards. He had 30, 30, 30 yards receiving. I mean, he just wasn't used very much. But when he's played, he's looked pretty good. And, uh, he, you know, he's priced up pretty decently. He's 6,800 on FanDuel. He's only 6,400 on DraftKings. So it's uh, for a guy who's going to get some touches in a good game script, it's pretty intriguing. Yeah, pretty fair. Uh, pretty. It seems predictable at this point. Like they're it not going to go heavy Jamal Charles or something crazy <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, and, and the the Jacksonville wide receivers, I think it's kind of a good luck guessing. If you wanted to throw some tournament darts in there, you could go on any of those three guys. And Blake Bortles, who knows what you're going to get. You get some big games, you get some games where he looks horrible. But 
I love the Jacksonville defense this week. I think that uh, they feel like, to me, a, a, a defense that t- carries a lot of pride with them. I would like to see them get a little bit healthy. I want to see some good reports there. But 4,400 on FanDuel. They just they still have three sacks in three of the last four games. Houston's having huge issues protecting Watson, as we've mentioned. They've allowed, they allowed seven sacks last week and seven sacks two weeks ago to Indy. They're just susceptible to really huge sack games. And I just wonder if this game gets out of control with Jacksonville's defense really pissed off after the last two weeks. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey looks mad. He's, he's given bad press conferences. Everybody looks pissed on that defense. I just wonder if this is a spot where their defense just goes nuts. I hope for the sake of just football in general that the Texans offensive line doesn't let Deshaun Watson get completely snapped in half this week. Yeah, he's uh I, I saw some stat where he's he's been hit like twenty more times more than any quarterback and and the problem is there's those the place he runs on, he's not getting out of bounds very well. He's getting he's really getting hit on those two. He's gotta learn to slide and get down. He's just too valuable a team to take big hits. Yeah, you look at the other stuff that's been going on with him health wise too. Wasn't there a collapsed lung yeah, in there? So. I mean they yeah. were they were checking him out with the stethoscope on the sidelines one week. Like, <laughs> Never good. I'm sure that happens inside the medical tent, among other things that we don't want to see or know about. <laughs> but you don't usually see players like on the even end of the stethoscope on the sideline. That's usually reserved for you know the doctor's office, the how, training room. How but, fired up is the company that uh, got the patent on that uh, collapsible medical tent that every every pro and college team uses now? That's a that's a boon right there. <laughs> Isn't it just like a Coleman tent with the sides like velcroed on? Like, I'm sure. I'm like sure someone someone has the patent to get that thing to, to to fold up so nicely and so quickly and so easily. And it's uh it's always that nice color blue tent. Uh, someone's got to be making some money off that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you could just get the walls of a bounce house or something <laughs> and have that thing inflated in like ten seconds with a high powered fan. That's uh, that's one way to do it. I'm not sure the fans behind that would be too fired up about the bounce house in their line of view, though. No, no, you gotta, you gotta go with the, the low, the low ceiling bounce house. So, uh, real quick before we get to the three one o'clock games, another read from one of our sponsors, uh, Jockalytics. Looking for more success in daily fo- fantasy football this year? Let me introduce you to Jockalytics, a new platform designed to help you manage your daily fantasy play. Jockalytics analyzes contests across leading fantasy sites, applying your individual playing and bankroll preferences to find the best contest for you. And with Jockalytics notifications, you can relax knowing that you'll be the first to know when new contests are available. Spend more time playing and less time searching. Join now and get free access to the entire Jockalytics product suite for October. That's J-O-C-K-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S, Jockalytics.com. Join now. So the first 1 o'clock game we got, we kind of mentioned earlier, is a really interesting game with New Orleans headed to Baltimore. Uh, New Orleans obviously a high-powered offense, although less so on the road, less so outdoors, which both of these, uh, both they got both of those this week in Baltimore. Uh, over-unders 50.5, Baltimore's favored by 2.5, interesting line there. Uh, Drew Brees, you know, uh, he's, he's road, outside against a tough defense, he's 8,600 on FanDuel. Uh, he just came off a 216-yard zero touchdown game outside at New, at New York uh, two weeks ago. I think he's too expensive for me in this matchup, but uh, maybe that's interesting. Maybe it makes him low percentage. I think I'm not playing Breeze this week. I'm really worried about Baltimore's defense, as good as they are against the pass, and being at home, finding ways to slow down Michael Thomas at least, and then maybe Kamara gets him or something like that. But I just, I'm a little concerned about the Saints too. It's so tempting on DraftKings though, where the price is 5,700 on Breeze. Like that is wow. A gift like that's so low that is shockingly low for a guy that's that good like that's a crazy low price and it's like okay walk walk your through the process for a moment if you're gonna play drew Brees at that price 
do you just lock in Michael Thomas at 7,900? Is he matchup proof? I mean, like I, he certainly has a case to be made for that, but the target volume weeks has dipped nine total targets over the last two games. That's a little bit of a concern after he was just a monster in the first three. How do you, how do you handle this? If you were in a DraftKings scenario and we're going to use breeze, like, is that enough of a price break where you do want to play him? It's funny. You mentioned, we talked about Jarvis Landry and Kelvin Benjamin, I think with the, you know, number of targets per catches, Michael Thomas has 49 targets here. He has 46 catches. It's absurd. What, what, what is the record over a full season for someone? He's, like, he's, he's on pace for. He's cut 18 of his last 19 in the last three games. I mean, that's impossible. How how damn good is Drew Brees? Yeah, I mean, you got to be good as a receiver to pull it in, too. Yeah. But you're right. The underappreciation for Drew Brees quickly turned into a love fest after that Monday night game. And it, it's deserved. The guy's really good. But uh, what, what do you do, though? Like, if, if Baltimore's pass defense is. Is he because of the price? Someone you still trust enough in cash despite the difficult matchup? Because that just seems like a pretty big pricing error based on the typical Drew Brees floor. Yeah, I think at 5,700, he's very playable in cash and drafting, especially can you consider the fact that I think Baltimore's offense is going to score. So even if Brees struggles a little bit, I think the volume is going to be there. Um, you know, Flacco throws the ball a lot. He has 37-plus attempts the last five games. Um, the Saints D has been a little bit better lately. You know, Eli Manning and Alex Smith, they held them down, but that, you know, that doesn't say a lot to me. They're still the third-worst FanDuel points per game to opposing quarterbacks. So I think Baltimore is going to score. So I think New Orleans is going to have to throw the ball. So even if they're, uh, you know, struggle a little more than usual, you got to think the volumes there that at 5,700, that's going to be a pretty solid play. I think the floor is decent enough there that 5,700, uh, that's a pretty good spot. If you were thinking about it in tournaments, would you go Traycon Smith in there as well? I think they just put Ted Ginn on IR today. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, to try and get the, uh, the low per- lower percentage guy, but um, you know, I think I think Breeze Kamara as a combo with the thought that maybe they're trailing in the second half could be interesting. Um, you know, if you really want to get it outside the box a little bit, uh, you know, Breeze Thomas will be the obvious one. But um, I think if I were to go somewhere in a tournament with Breeze, it might be Breeze Kamara and kind of hope for that, you know, 14 target Alvin Kamara kind of game. Yeah, I just think if you're looking at a really good pass defense, when you have a guy like Alvin Kamara, who's uniquely talented in the passing game, running some routes, running out of the backfield, like there's there's some things he can do that might be able to find some weaknesses in an otherwise really good pass defense. Yeah, and, and Sean Payton's a guy that usually can can find ways to exploit that. You know, he only had nine touches in his first game back with uh, with Mark Ingram back uh, before they went on their bye. I just wonder if that was game script they were leading in that game, and maybe they were just trying to give Kamara a break coming into the bye. He had got a lot of usage the first four weeks. Ingram was obviously really fresh coming off the PED suspension. Um, I think you're going to get uh, as long as Baltimore scores, as I think they will. I think you're going to get uh, you're going to get full Alvin Kamara this week. I think when you look at the the Baltimore side, I agree with you. I think they're going to score pretty easily. The running game is where I'm a little worried because the Saints have been pretty effective in that facet. But John Brown, Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed all priced in ways where I, I think you've got strong cases for all three of them. Uh, I think so too. I love John Brown this week, 6,500 on FanDuel, um, still being targeted downfield a lot. He was quiet last week, only had three targets, but that was game script. I mean, they, they had that game one before it even started. The Tennessee's so terrible. Um, Saints are still allowing 44.1 FanDuel points to wide receivers. That's number one in the league. Um, John Brown's probably my favorite mid-range receiver this week. Yeah, he's he's really nice as you kind of build from that that range. We talked earlier with, uh, I think, Golden Tate, Elshon Jeffrey being slightly more expensive guys in a similar mindset. Tate's 6,400, and 
Jeffrey on DraftKings, I believe, is uh, in a similar range. I don't have the price directly in front of me at the moment. I hate when I click on a filter for a game, by the way, and then I can't unclick it because it's off screen. That is <laughs> terrible design. Uh, but yeah, Elshon Jeffrey, 6,300, definitely one of those guys that kind of in that same range. I'm thinking about John Brown being interchangeable if I need to open up that cash for else. Yeah, I think John Brown's probably a little more of a tournament guy than, than the other two guys, but uh, I really like him this week. I think that uh, I think he's going to get over the top for at least one big play. But if you're looking at PPR, though, Michael Crabtree, I mean, he's eight, at least eight targets the last five weeks, 12 catches the last two weeks. He's actually not dropping the ball like he was the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, he's interesting, but I think if I'm going somewhere here, it's John Brown. I really like him a lot this week. But you, you have more of a, a, a GPP lean on Brown still? A little bit. I wouldn't hate him in a cash game. I think that uh, I think the targets will be there. But I think he's one of those guys that you know you're going to need a big player too for him to really pay off. And you know if that turns into a pass interference, suddenly you're not getting quite the same cash value. Um, he's a little more of a GPP guy for me. I wouldn't argue against him in cash, but I do definitely more GPP for me. Okay, yeah, and then Sneed. I mean, four thousand on DraftKings. That's pretty enticing as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's so cheap, and he's been he's been pretty good. You know, it's funny because last year with the Saints, he was so popular in draft season, and had the uh, the suspension he just kind of disappeared. It never got where we thought he was going to get. But you know, twenty twenty four targets the last three weeks, really heavily used. I think on DraftKings and that price uh, with, as a PPR guy, um, it's, it's hard to go wrong with him, especially in a game like this that I think is going to be pretty high scoring. Over under is forty and a half. You're going to want pieces of both sides, and if you can get Snead for four thousand, that's uh, that's almost stealing right there. Yeah, it feels like Sanu a week ago, just hoping that Snead doesn't get hurt early. Of course, revenge narrative, too, for him going up against the Saints, which, whatever, it's it's the usage. <laughs> yeah, it's seven targets per game at 4K in a game with a crazy high over-under. That's that's the appeal of Willie Snead as far as saving some money at receiver this week. Yeah, I'm surprised that his price went down last week after catching uh, seven balls for 60 yards. I guess it's uh, going against, I mean, going against the Saints off defense that hasn't stopped anybody. It's, it's really odd to me that he went down. This week uh, in drunk algorithms. <laughs> there you go. Uh, next game, we've got Dallas at Washington. Lowest over-under on this slate, 41.5. Washington's favored by two at home. On the Cowboys side, I think Ezekiel Elliott is kind of the, the one guy to talk about. Consistent volume is just so nice when it comes to uh, it comes to fantasy football. 25-plus touches each of the last three weeks. He had a monster game against them last week before he got uh, did his suspension. 33 games, or 32 carries, 150 yards, two touchdowns. Washington hasn't allowed any rusher over 65 yards. It's been pretty good against the run, but uh, I think that Zeke's going to touch the ball a lot in a low-scoring game with uh, a low spread. You got to think they're going to lean on him pretty heavily. Yeah, I like him a little more on FanDuel, just cost relative to cap and the other running backs and everything, but I think he's playable on both sides. He's just a predictable part of their offense every week, even though they're slow tempo. You know the plan is to get him 25 touches. Like that's Even against a team that might have a top-10 run defense, I don't worry about matchups all that much with Zeke Elliott as long as that price is hovering right around that same range where it is. 8,100 on DraftKings, 8,400 on FanDuel. Pretty fair. Yeah, we mentioned, uh, we were talking about McCaffrey earlier. I mentioned a couple running backs I like more in the range, and, and Zeke's one of them this week. And last week he didn't get uh, he didn't get targets because they were leading Jacksonville. But if this game's close, he has uh, he has 19 targets in three games before that Jacksonville game. You know, they leaned on him running the ball last week. And he had 106 yards against the Jags defense. So um, I think Zeke is the play for me to, uh, you know, I think I like him more than McCaffrey. And if you're looking to save almost 2,000 on DraftKings from Gurley, um, he's the guy that I'd probably drop down in order to get a little more uh, firepower on the receivers. Yeah, you look at the um, the rest of this game, though, it's Ugh. it's pretty ugly. I mean, Adrian Peterson, 4,600, get ankle and shoulder injuries, and he was involved in individual drills on Thursday. So 
he probably goes. He was efficient last week, got volume against the Panthers, 17 for 97. Of course, doesn't play in the passing game, and Dallas isn't the kind of team that you really expect to see having a big lead on anybody, even though they did it last. But that's kind of an outlier for me. Uh, so it's not a terrible game script for Peterson if you're just looking for cheap volume, but I'd be much more comfortable using him in a non-full PPR scenario. And on FanDuel, you got to pay up quite a bit more. He's 6900 so you're not really getting that same sort of discount that you're getting on DraftKings. Is he the most uh, game script-reliant running back in the entire NFL? Yeah, I mean, he's... Um, yeah, him and, like, LeGarrette Blunt. it's... I mean, you they, look they at just, you look need, at the th- they need to be winning the three games where they he was involved. He has over 95 yards in each of those three weeks. The other two games, he has 20 yards or less. I mean, it's just he's either in there doing well, getting a lot of touches, or he's just completely invisible. And it's just so such a hard risk to take when you've got so many guys to pick from. And you know, he's like you said on Fanduel, he's priced up at 6,900. I just I don't want a guy that you know if if they get down 14, that suddenly is standing on the sideline not touching the ball ever. Agreed. No, I, I that's why I just don't end up using him. Yeah. Uh, any interest in Jordan Reed? Nine targets last week. Hasn't topped 65 yards, but 6,000 on Fandle is not probably as cheap as I want it, but he was the only other guy I looked at in this game. But, uh, you know, five catches for 36 yards on those nine targets. He's not doing much, especially with Alex Smith, who throws the ball three yards every play. Yeah, Alex Smith is, is uh, as I call Mike McCarthy, the restrictor plate in this offense. There are some <laughs> limitations there. Reed with nine targets. Price comes down. That's a little bit interesting. The bad but tight end is better than usual this week so you know it's kind of an okay not great sort of thing i'm not going to do most likely so last game on the slate is the one with the highest over under the rams at san francisco rams are a nine and a half point favorite so you've got some game script concern in here if the, you know, the rams do get ahead although the 49ers offense with cj bathard i think the last couple weeks has, has looked a little bit better they've been moving the ball they, they move the ball pretty well against green bay marquise goodwin back it changes the offense totally the guy that can take that top off the defense just opens everything up for everybody else they obviously aren't what we thought they're going to be to start the year with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jarek McKinnon and all that before all the injuries but with Goodwin back uh, Bethard knows the offense it seems like they're moving the ball so I guess my question for you is before we move into this game really do you think the Niners can score enough to keep the Rams offense uh, firing for four quarters I think it can actually and maybe I'm getting blinded a little bit by Green Bay being pretty weak defensively and, and leaking some really big plays to Goodwin and just not not being real effective stopping the run game either. But Marquise Goodwin is such a burner that he, when healthy, is basically a GPP option any time he's on the field. Like he's just, he doesn't need a lot to be productive. But part of the initial appeal this season was the possibility that he would be like a true number one or more like a true number one with Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you think C.J. Beathard in the way they're balancing run versus pass and, and what Beathard's able to do downfield is good enough to still allow Goodwin to reach that level? Or is he going to be kind of like first half last season Marquise Goodwin where the production is highly variable from week to week? I think he's not fully boomer bust, but he's a lot closer to boomer bust than he is with Garoppolo. And it's not that you know, Garoppolo throws the ball. I mean, he does throw the ball better, but Garoppolo really leaned on him and he really liked Goodwin. He used him in different spots where Beathard seems to use him more on, on deep balls. But I think it's Goodwin, um, you know, now that he's finally healthy, he looked finally like he could finally unleash the speed last week against Green Bay. That bomb was that bomb was really pretty when he broke broke, broke through two guys and caught that. Um, so I don't think he's quite fully the you know potential uh, on the edge of the wide receiver ones that he might have been with Garoppolo, but I think he's he's a lot more playable um, than he was the first half last year. So kind of somewhere in between. But uh, in a tournament, it's nice when you know you miss one tackle, that's a seventy-yard touchdown. 
yeah, it swings things real, real quick if you get that kind of contribution from Goodwin. Price hasn't caught up yet in being healthy, in part because of the Monday night game, too. I think sometimes you have guys yeah. that come off injuries on a Monday. Pricing's kind of done before that game plays out. He's 4,600 on DraftKings, 5,500 on FanDuel. So absolutely a tournament consideration, even though that Rams defense, I think, has some some legitimately good players. Goodwin is, is so gifted with top. He can overcome that, and it doesn't take many plays for him to do it. And you got to think the Niners are going to be throwing the ball a ton in the second half. Whether you think they're going to score enough to keep in this game or not, you got to think the Rams are going to score, especially early. Uh, George Kittle, 6,400 on FanDuel, six-plus targets each of the last four weeks. He's been really active with C.J. Beathard. And the nice thing about Kittle is he always has an upside to really break one. You know, where we talk about some guys like Ebron or Jimmy Graham or Jack Doyle, even that catch a lot of balls but don't really have that chance to really break one. Ebron's, you know, scored a lot this year, but Kittle's always Kittle can score from 60, 70 yards out. Um, the Rams have allowed multiple passing touchdowns the last four weeks. Jared Cook had a huge game against them week one. Uh, Kyle Rudolph had a pretty good game. They haven't really faced many good tight ends, but Kittle at 6,400, I think, is going to get lost in the mix this week with a lot of people liking Gronkowski, a lot of people liking Ebron and Njoku. Um, I think you might be able to slide Kittle in a, in a pretty good game script. We're going to be throwing the ball a ton in the second half at, at a pretty low percentage. Yeah, I do like his ability after the catch. It's you know more like an Njoku type than yeah. some of the guys you mentioned where you, you could see him get out into space and win a foot race. Like That's that's what George Kittle has shown us to this point. So uh, I'm with you. I think the... The way the tight end position is structured this week, he might get a little bit lost in the shuffle. You know, in cash, you might be able to just pay down and, and get pretty steady volume elsewhere. But in tournaments, you might get Kittle at a surprisingly low ownership rate. So on the Rams side, you know, they have the one of the biggest implied totals of the week uh, with that that huge spread and the, and the biggest over in the week. I think they're the, the highest actually implied total of anybody. Uh, Jared Goff, uh, the, the Gurley rushing barrage the last couple weeks has really hurt him. Gurley went off last week. Um, Goff has a ton of upside this week. The 49ers cannot stop quarterbacks. They've allowed multiple touchdown passes in five of the first six games. Josh Rosen was the only one that they didn't. Um, I don't think the 49ers have any chance to stop them. Their secondary has been depleted. Uh, Richard Sherman's kind of the only guy who's effective back there at all when he's not committing penalties to help Aaron Rodgers. Um, if you're to play golf, do you have a preference whether you're stacking him with Robert Woods or Brandon Cooks this week with Cooper Cup out? I, I I don't have a great feel yet for how they're going to use the slot receiver. Like They could move Cooks to the slot if they wanted to and keep Woods on the outside. Uh, I think both are are viable if I'm picking one. Robert Woods, I think the concussion that Cooks had a couple weeks ago, I'm still a little bit hesitant to to lean on him right now. It's kind of an eyebreaker sort of thing for me. So I'd probably go Robert Woods as the preferred pairing with uh, with Jared Goff this week. Is that how you see it too? Uh, we don't disagree a lot, but I actually really like Cooks this week. I just think the way the 49ers uh, make mistakes in the secondary, you watched that game last week. I mean, Devontae Adams caught passes and caught it, and there's like nobody around him. Valdez Scantling caught a couple of balls, and he like looked around, and he started running because there's nobody close. And I just, with a guy <laughs> like with a guy like Cooks that has so much speed, I love getting him in a spot like that where one mistake like that is not a 30-yard catch like it was with Valdez Scantling or a 50-yard catch. That's a touchdown. Like, Cooks is going to break that, and no one's going to catch him. Quiet the last couple of weeks, obviously the zero for zero when he had the injury. Uh, two for 53 last week on six targets. He's had at least six targets in every game he's played fully. Um, over 85 yards the first four weeks. So I think he's kind of quiet coming in this week off the two quiet weeks. Uh, Devontae Adams killed the 49ers last week. Christian Kirk a week before that got deep for a touchdown. I think Cooks is going to make at least one big play in this game, and I wouldn't be shocked if he made two of them. Yeah, I just look at this, and I, like they, they're both fine. It's like the Thielen yeah. Diggs thing. You, you can kind of sure. just like see them both getting enough to be good and – if you got a good matchup feel on Cooks, I hey look they, the way they've been using him, 
is uh, is a step above what the Patriots are doing with them a year ago. So the price is close enough. It's just play play your gut, play play Scott's analysis, play what you comfortable with but i think they're both very viable this week yeah i do too i mean woods has been so consistent 81 104 101 92 and 109 yards last five weeks with three touchdowns i mean you outside of adam thielen you can't find anyone that solid and consistent over the last five weeks yeah the target count 9 9 11 5 7 10 beautiful uh so what about Gurley? he's 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 10 2 on fanduel um, monster, monster usage every week. You know, you just can't stock stack the box against them like you can against the you know teams playing against Ezekiel Elliott or other big running backs. The Rams' passing game has so many weapons, so good you can't stack the box. And they use Gurley out of the backfield catching passes too. With Cup out, he you know he kind of becomes a little bit of that slot receiver when they when they miss Cup. He has twenty eight touches inside the last inside the ten yard line. The next highest in the NFL is someone with sixteen. That's amazing. Yeah. I just I, I look at the the girly situation and yeah the price is up but I'm not having as difficult of a time as I would have thought in the lineups. His price came down on DraftKings some for some reason. I, again, I don't know why, but uh, yeah, I, I just look at the girly situation and it's like okay, like if, if it's not that difficult to build a lineup with him in it, why not? Unless you see near you know like a similar amount of ceiling I guess near him on the price list and I don't know if I see that this week. He had 40 points on DraftKings last week. How does he go down? I, I don't. I mean, it doesn't make. Should have been like what 10-5. Like should have gone least. up a little bit more. Yeah, yeah 11. <laughs> An 11K Todd Gurley. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, multiple touchdowns in three of his six games. He scored every single week, and it just so there's no game script dependence at all. If they're if they're behind, he's gonna he's gonna catch passes. If he's ahead, he's gonna just kill people on the ground. 28 carries for 208 yards last week. The Denver pass or the Denver rush team might be the worst thing I've ever seen between that and the, with the Jets that did the week before that. But um, yeah, th- I mean, you got to love every piece of this offense. I think it's just a matter if the 49ers can score enough to keep Goff, Gurley, et cetera, on the field and, and active. Yeah, I think they can. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm hoping I'm not being blinded by just how silly the Packers defense looks on a pretty much week to week basis. But I think the thing, the, the player that makes girly pretty easy to get at on both sides is sony michelle i mean yep. like i just think sony michelle is so grossly underpriced that opens up the flexibility you need to kind of clump from camara or zeke to Gurley in that top running back spot yeah i uh, i think you might see a lot of Gurley michelle combos at running back uh this week especially on DraftKings. i'm that's where i'm going in cash right now as yeah, my first cash build super solid in cash i really like that what about the rams d they're priced up they're five thousand on fanduel they have multiple sacks in each of the last four games. They've only forced two two turnovers the last three weeks, but the Niners have really been turning it over. I mean, they've been moving the ball with Beathard, but you know, eight turnovers the last two games, allowed six sacks the last two games. Beathard has five picks in three games. Um, if the Rams get up in this game and Beathard's got to throw 45 times, uh, I wonder what the Rams' D could do, maybe scoring, getting three or four turnovers, three or four sacks. They could be pretty large this week. Could be a little more aggressive in the pass rush. Um, it just comes down to whether or not you got the excess left over. I think they're the most expensive defense on this week, so yep, they are. It, that part of your roster may not be flexible enough to pull it off. If you great, I I think it can be a good week for them, but I, I don't think it's so overwhelmingly good where you'd say, okay, I got to make plans to do this. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I think the price probably makes them lower percentage maybe than they should be at, at five thousand. People would have trouble fitting that in, but. Um, the 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 uh, the formula is there for them to have a really good week on defense. Yeah, I, I think you're you're correct about that. 
Anybody else that uh, you want to discuss? That's uh, that's all the games. Anybody that uh, is in your head that uh, we haven't hit on yet that you want to discuss? You know, we didn't talk about Brady in the the, the Patriots-Bears uh, matchup. Brady's price, kind of like Breeze, you look at it and you're like, really? That That's it? That's all their, that's all their chart? 6,100 seems light for Brady this week. But the, the weapons he has right now, yeah, he's, that's uh, really, really cheap. He's eighty seven hundred on Fanduel, so I was uh, I was not playing him probably there, but sixty one hundred on DraftKings. That's uh, that's another bargain there. I mean, you, like you said, with the weapons there, with with White out of the backfield, with Gordon being increased usage, with Gronk probably uh, you know in the coach's ear all week to uh, to get some more usage, especially in the red zone. Uh, why would Tom Brady hit three hundred forty yards this week? He dropped from sixty six hundred to sixty one hundred, and I guess again, I guess a matchup against the Bears, they were scared of that. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's yeah. what I mean because the the opponent rank comes in at fifth, so he's got the the red ink on DraftKings, so maybe that's part <laughs> of it. Um, I mean, the thing about it is like if you're playing Sony Michelle at that discounted price, then you're probably not playing Brady, so that's probably where people are gonna especially pivot over to Breeze. That's uh, that is true. Cool. Um, so thanks everybody for listening to the RotoWire NFL DFS podcast for Week Seven. I uh, hope everybody has a good fantasy week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at Scott Jensted. Derek is at Derek Van Riper, all one word. Um, like Derek said, you know some of these uh, some of this stuff changes over the weekend as we get some injuries and stuff. So make sure to follow us there. We'll probably talk about some plays that develop over the weekend that uh, you know coming from injury reports and all that kind of stuff, such that, such as the OJ Howard and Dalvin Cook stuff last week. Uh, other than that, hope everybody has a great week, and we will catch you next week. Take care.